the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome. You are listening to Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston, New England's oldest African-American church. Hope and Faith Ministry features the inspirational sermons of my father, Dr. Wesley Roberts, Senior Pastor at People's Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here. Dr. Roberts has a powerful message of hope and love for your life and mine. Now enjoy this broadcast of Hope and Faith Ministry, brought to you from People's Baptist Church of Boston. The title of the message today is Fulfilling Our Christian Responsibilities. Fulfilling Our Christian Responsibilities. In light of the incivility taking place in our society today, especially in our in public discourse by some of the candidates who are running for president, I was led to look at First Peter chapter 2, 13 through 17. These five verses give us a framework for how Christians should relate to the various circles of authority in which we live our lives. For example, there is an authority structure in the home, in the church, in the school, in the classroom, on the job, in the office, and at all levels of human government. Wherever you find a human institution, there you will find people in authority and people under authority. People cannot work together in any endeavor without some system of authority. Peter writes to help us to know how we should relate to the various circles of authority in our lives. Sometimes these circles intersect and overlap. Often we find ourselves dealing with people over us who lack wisdom, discretion, prudence, and foresight. And we need to know how to respond and why. How should we conduct ourselves, for example, toward government? This was an important question to the early Christians of the first century. Because the government that they lived under was not Christian and, in fact, was anti-Christian and was beginning to persecute Christians for worshiping a God different from theirs. And so the question, how should we conduct ourselves toward government, has not become easier to answer in the intervening 1,900-plus years since Peter wrote this letter. And so Peter gives us some ideas as to what we ought to do. In fact, we could say some commands. And the first is submit in all uh, submit to all human authority. Submit to all human authority. 
And Peter begins with a simple, clear statement in verses 13 and 14 of 1 Peter chapter 2. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. Now, don't let the wording mislead you. Peter's focus is on people, not just on institutions. We are to submit to all those in authority over us. Now, as Americans, when we read that we are to submit to the king, uh, as the head of state, uh, we readily dismiss the thought since we haven't had a king since 1776. So, let me rephrase it to make it a little bit more contemporary. Peter is saying, submit yourselves to the president as the head of state, to the Congress, Supreme Court, the federal judiciary, the governor of the state of Massachusetts, the mayor, the state legislature, state police, the superintendent, and to the principal of the school your children attend. Now, this list could be greatly extended. The truth is we all live under multiple layers of authority, and it's very likely that we won't care for some of these people and for the laws they pass and the rules they make. There will always be leaders we don't trust, laws we don't like, and taxes we don't want to pay. So what do we do then? Peter's answer is very clear. He says we are to submit. And notice this, for the Lord's sake. Not because we like it, but because we are the children of God and we are following the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, whenever we read a text like Second Peter, First Peter, chapter two, thirteen and fourteen, we almost immediately start saying to ourselves, "Yes, but," and we quickly have a dozen yes buts that destroy the meaning of Peter's words. And if we start with the yes buts, we'll end up emptying this command of its meaning. To obey government is God's clearly expressed will for every Christian. We're not talking about the world now outside. We're talking about the family of God, Christians. We don't have to pray about it. We don't even have to want to or feel like it. Obeying government does not mean that we cannot criticize criticize it when we feel it is wrong or strive to get laws changed or enacted. As Americans, we have a choice because we can select our leaders as we are in the process of doing uh, during this election season. But this is a privilege the people of Peter's day did not have. It's important for us as Christians to respect duly elected officials, whether they are our party or ideology or not. As President 
Truman said to General Douglas MacArthur, you don't have to respect me, but you had better respect my office. You see, ever since President Richard Nixon, the way Americans speak of their president has been awful, to say the least, and is getting worse each succeeding year. God cannot be pleased with the way some citizens of this country, Christians among them, speak about their president, President Obama. They have absolutely no respect for him, and that is against the scriptures. So what does Peter mean when he says, we are to submit for the Lord's sake? It means that there is a direct connection between the people in authority over us and God who is the ultimate authority. We may tend to look at a teacher who frustrates us or a boss who is insensitive and think they stand alone in the universe. But that is not the case. They exist as they are and where they are by God's permission. If God did not will it so, that teacher could not teach and that boss would not be the boss that you are working under. To say that is not to excuse sin or foolish behavior. It simply means that those in authority cannot exist apart from God. And the Apostle Paul makes it quite clear in Romans chapter 13 and verse 1. Where he says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 21, he, God, determines the course of world events. He removes kings and sets others on the throne. As Christians, we submit to authority because God has commanded us to do so, and because God established all human authority. This means that submission to authority is really an aspect of our submission to Christ. We will never fully grasp the importance of submission until we connect it to our obedience to Jesus Christ. You see, once we see that the Lord is intimately involved in every detail of our lives, then we will understand that obedience to authority is really obedience to the Lord. And we will be able to give that obedience for the Lord's sake, says Peter. Because we know that he is with us and watching over us, even when we think the command we are obeying is foolish and short-sighted. One objection that might be raised to this teaching relates to unjust rulers or corrupt rulers. Submission is hard enough when you have a good boss, a wise teacher, an honest leader, a fair employer, or a compassionate police officer. But when, but what do you do if your teacher is mean, your boss is unfair, the principal won't listen, and you don't 
trust the people in Washington or in Beacon Hill. Surely Peter's words don't apply then, do they? Of course they do, but may I remind you that when Peter wrote about the king, he was referring to Nero, one of the worst emperors ever to rule the Roman Empire. He was a cruel, wicked, vile, immoral, and sadistic man. His hatred for Christians is well known. And Peter says, honor the king. In verse 15, Peter says, it is God's will, for it is, yes, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish man. See, God is honored when Christians are viewed as law-abiding, tax-paying, and societally stabilizing people. But the second thing Peter says is, live as servants of God. Live as servants of God. First Peter 2 and verse, and verse 16 says, live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. To live as servants of God is to live as servants to other to others around us. Someone said, if you wish to be a leader, you will be frustrated. For very few people wish to be led. But if you aim to be a servant, you will never be frustrated. There was a, a news item some time ago about a young wife and mother who recently moved to Arkansas from Michigan to be near some relatives hoping to find a job to care for her son. Mary Wadley was laid off her job in Michigan, and moving to Arkansas, she had a hard time making ends meet. And she said, Lord, I've been praying for you to help me, to give me a break, to send someone to help reduce the pressure on me. She went to the Walmart store in Searcy, Arkansas, and purchased groceries amounting to $139. When it came time to pay, the cashier said to her, that guy just paid for your groceries. The man had been in front of her in the line and smiled at her before he left. Uh, Mary called the anonymous stranger an angel, a servant of the Lord. You see, we all need to live as servants to each other because being a servant speaks to uh, on the unbelieving world, better than pride, arrogance, and fame. True, humble servants silence the ignorant talk of unbelieving skeptics. But number three, be respectful of everyone. Peter says, be respectful of everyone. Verse 17, show proper respect to everyone. 
Peter does not say show proper respect to your equals or to those above, above us. He does not say show proper respect to the upstanding citizens of the community or those who are respectful to us. No, he says show proper respect to everyone. Underline everyone. That includes those who are in our penal institutions, who run afoul of the law, those who terrorize the community through crime and violence, those who are drug addicts, alcoholics, pimps, prostitutes, and anyone that you can think of. Why? Because no matter what a person's social or moral condition may be, that person is a human being created in the image of God and possesses inherent dignity. Genesis chapter Chapter uh, 1 and verse 27 says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You see, every human person is loved by God and is so precious in God's sight that Christ gave his life on Calvary to redeem us from sin's degradation. See, when you look at the rejects of society, estimate their value not by society's labels, but by our Creator's love and our Redeemer's sufferings. Look at their capacity to become children of God and to experience all the divine blessings that we enjoy. Show proper respect to everyone, says Peter. You don't have to like someone to respect them. You don't have to agree with someone to respect them. You don't have to have much in common with someone to respect them. Proper respect for everyone is a Christian responsibility which all of us have. Many Christians fail in this area. They show disrespect by their actions, by their attitudes, by their speech, and even by their body language. Now we blame today's youths for not showing proper respect. But who did they learn this respect from? Us. We teach by example, and if we hear, and if they hear us adults slandering one another and being mean toward each other, how can we expect them to be respectful of others? Let us not blame young people for poor attitude and negative attitudes if we have some of those same attitudes ourselves. Parents, listen to me, and I'm a parent, but we have to model and teach respect to our children so that they will respect those who are in authority. And this begins with teaching our children to respect us as parents. If a child is respectful to a teacher, a pastor, uh, an older person, or any other authority figure, you can bet that they are also disrespectful of their parents. Now here are a few tips that um, you can use for teaching respect to your children, those of you who have children at home. Number one, live a life 
before your children that is worthy of respect. Two, keep your word to your children. Three, treat your own parents and in-laws with respect. Address others respectfully. Use terms like Mr. or Mrs. or aunt or uncle. Um, Please and thank you. There's no reason for a child to be calling an adult by their first name. It's something that did not happen in my society in which I was brought up. We respect those who are older, those who are elders, those who are in positions of responsibility. But Peter says, show proper respect for everyone. But then number four, he says, love your Christian brothers and sisters. Verse 17 says, Love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God. Show respect for the king. It's always an inspiration to see a close-knit loving family. But the ties of grace are far stronger than the ties of blood. Those who have been born spiritually into the family of God are brothers and sisters in a manner that is stronger than the ties of natural birth. Death can separate us eternally from the brother or sister with whom we grew up and shared a common father and mother. But brothers and sisters in Christ share a relationship which will last forever. There is a bond of union between Christians which death cannot break. When Peter says, love your Christian brothers and sisters, he's simply sharing with us the mind of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure there was imprinted on his mind the words of our Lord to his disciples in John chapter 13, 34 and 35, where Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now this love which Jesus and Peter are talking about is not the ordinary love we have for uh, human beings in general. It is the love of one spirit-born person to another spirit-born person. To be a Christian is to belong to a very special family. As members of the divine family, we have an obligation to love one another. Love for Christian brothers and sisters is the key characteristic of the Christian. It was the Apostle John who said in, in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 11, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. And Paul in Romans 12 and verse 10, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. You see, if we do not love each other, it means that we do not share the Father's nature. And if we do not share the Father's nature, then we are not member, a member of the Father's family. 
unless there is evidence of love for one another by the way we treat each other, speak to each other, and talk about each other, then we we may be members of the church, but we are not members of God's family. Love expresses itself in loving actions and loving words. You can't convince me that you love me if you have nothing good to say about me. If you find it easier to pull me down than to build me up. So the most eloquent and convincing evidence of our love for Christ is our love for one another. Our society is waiting for a demonstration of this love. There's no other trait that so thoroughly portrays a person to be a Christian as does the quality of love. Where this love is present, tongues speak no criticism, shoulders carry no chips, lips repeat no gossip, fingers point no accusations, eyes glare no condemnation, hearts hold no grudge, attitudes reveal no jealousy, Words recreate no bitterness, and decisions leave no remorse. The Christian who genuinely loves does not retaliate when mistreated, does not toss cold water on the hopes of others, does not throw wet blankets on the efforts of others, does not take advantage of the failures of others, and does not rejoice at the mistakes of others. The Christian who has the love of Christ is slow to complain and quick to commend, slow to admonish and quick to approve, slow to chastise and quick to encourage, slow to dispute and quick to defend, slow to argue and quick to agree, and slow to abandon and quick to assist when and wherever necessary. Oh, you may ask, Pastor, is there anyone who ever lived this way? Yes, there is. His name is Jesus. And we are called to follow in his steps. Though he was insulted, he did not retaliate in kind. Though he was sinned against, he never sinned in response. Though he was humiliated, he never threatened to get even. And Peter says, follow in his steps. Lord, I want to be like Jesus in my heart. In my heart. Lord, I want to be like Jesus In my heart, in my heart, in my heart, Lord, I want to be like Jesus in my heart. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for joining us here at Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston. We pray that you have been touched and inspired by today's message. People's Baptist Church is a Christ-centered, caring church located at 134 Camden Street at the corner of Camden and Tremont Streets. Our Sunday services are at 8 a.m. and at 1045 a.m. You can reach us at 617-427-0424. Come visit us in person or on the web at www.pbcboston.org. And tune in every Saturday morning at 1030 for another inspiring message of hope and faith. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.